You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. Welcome to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. I am Rev Hewitt, President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus, and that is Antonique Smith, hey. singer, actress, and activist, <laughs> aka your favorite artivist. Yes, hey. Antonique is in LA making it happen on the West Coast side of Think 100%. Yeah, and I'm Mustafa Santiago Ali, Senior Vice President of the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts and stronger communities. Well, first and foremost, man, thank you to WPFW for hosting us here in the East Coast in the studio. And a big thank you for all of our listeners who tune in each week. We love you all. And you can check out the show's blog at think100.info and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at think100show. Mustafa, you know, we, we had some amazing guests here with us in the studio mm-hmm. um, to discuss this incredibly important new United Nations climate report. But first off, uh, let me just say this, actually, before we get to that um, real, real quick, because I know, Antonique, I want you to chime in. There's a lot of things that are happening around the country in regards to climate change that ties into this report. But before you get to that, let me just send out my uh, prayers, Mustafa and Antonique, for those who are still dealing with Hurricane Michael. Um, um, you know, it's it's hard to imagine um, that this time, you know, last week, um, people had homes. Yeah. And I actually want to talk about that just for just 10 seconds, really, about, you know, for me, having have family and friends who, who went through Katrina, um, I know what it's like to literally be alive and know folks who are alive and then come back the next week and your home is gone and everything is gone. So, um, you know, we, we are gathered here today to discuss this and so many different things, but our prayers are for them. Our prayers are for those who are still in Hurricane Florence. Yep. And our prayers are for those who are dealing with so many different things, the droughts, um, and the wildfires and so many different catastrophes around the globe. But, you know, it's, it's crazy. It's almost like a, a, a movie, Antonique. It's, um, yes, a bad movie. Yes, sometimes a horror movie is feeling like. Mm. Um, it's just so crazy. Uh, so, you know, in classic movies, you, you have the villain. And we all know who the villain is. Uh, did you catch Trump's interview on 60 Minutes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he said he no longer believes that climate change is a hoax, but he still believes that it's not man-made and that the climate will fix itself over time, which is... No, we all know it's ridiculous. I actually didn't see. He didn't say that, did he? Yeah, yes, he did. He, he said it. It'll fix yeah, itself over know, time. It's going to fix, right, exactly. No, and, and not one scientist is saying that, but, you know, that's how he is. He just says whatever. And, um, you know, maybe this is one of his old tricks to make us think that he cares. But in reality, 
he's doing nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean no thing to address <laughs> this issue. You know, it's a shame because people are suffering. People are dying. That's right. Literally, people are dying. That's right. And good solutions exist. We have solutions. And, and you know, our country could be leading the charge. The United States could be leading the charge. So it's, it's, it's really unfortunate. And the impacts are here, and we're seeing it yet again with Hurricane Michael, you know, uh, the, the, in, the inaction by Trump and those who are in control of our Congress right now. And I, I said right now, because that is something that we can change next month. I need everybody to go vote. Respect my vote. Everybody, I hope you're registered. Um, today is the final day for many states, so make sure you're registered to vote. Our inaction is hurting our community. Mm. Climate change is not a distant threat. It is here. It is real. It is not a game. And climate change is not playing with us. It is not playing with this world. Like, it, people are dying. It's not funny. It's not a game. At some point in time, we have to have a conversation because I saw just a split screen of Kanye and Trump and oh, and, and, and the white. Uh, oh, uh, but, 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 you don't get me started. No, 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 no. no. I, I, listen, 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 no, 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 no. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't, don't, don't want to. Oh, this is the place for at some point in time. I mean, Anthony, you wrote a, a great article. If you haven't read art, Anthony's article in Gris yep. about what it means to be an artivist, you should definitely read that. Uh, I'll leave it. Let's leave it there. Let's leave it. Anthony, continue oh what's going God. on in the movie. Let's leave Lord. it there. But we will say that you have responsibility as an artist. <laughs> yes, you absolutely have responsibility. People are listening. You have a voice. And in whatever you say, that absolutely matters. Um, you know, it's just, uh, yeah, that's Twilight Zone right there. I don't even know what to say about Kanye. It's heartbreaking and just unbelievably crazy. Um, but I got you all. I'm sorry, I got you all track because you actually no, talk about the hurricanes. You know, no, 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 no. I, 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 I apologize, <laughs> but that was just my leading for folks to read your article in Gris oh on Artivist. But you, you were saying us about the hurricanes last week. Yes, 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 yes. Last week, our communities across the southeast were again slammed by another devastating hurricane made stronger by climate change. Mm. And the, the extra warm water in the Gulf made this. The most powerful storm. Listen to this. Now, we know how many storms Florida gets. It's, it's definitely like the, the, the hurricane area. This is the most powerful storm to ever hit the Florida panhandle. Wow. Then it went through Georgia, through South and North Carolina, and this happened just a few weeks after Hurricane Florence. It's right. already devastated the Carolinas, North Carolina. You know, it, it, it will continue... We'll, we'll continue to see the fallout um, from Hurricane Michael. Uh, and so far, it, it's horrible. Lives have been lost, billions of dollars of damage and, and loss of crops. And so many lives have been changed, forever changed, by this hurricane. Um, so, Anthony, how, how, how does that affect us with the inequality that's going on? Like, what's, what's your take on, on that aspect? Well, you know, it, it, the storms kind of highlight the inequalities, um, the inequalities in housing, the economy, the access to clean water, disaster planning and disaster relief efforts, because we see a difference, you know, when it happens in certain areas. And honestly, the list goes on and on. Um, the, the inequality is, you know, I, I guess that's maybe the one good thing that comes out of a hurricane is that you get to see that very clearly. It shows it. It's unfortunate 
you know, we need those kind of things to, to show it because people aren't listening, mm. which is why this show is so important. It's really outrageous that these inequalities are baked into our society, you know, almost as it is what it is. But th- that ain't it. That is that's not what it is. And so that's why I'm so glad that I'm here and I can, you know, continue to keep doing what I do and address all of these issues with you guys every week, you know. Oh, I we think appreciate that's that, a blessing. Yeah, it's a blessing that we <laughs> have this platform. <laughs> you know, they need us, you know. Um, as always, I, I hope the president, I don't even like calling that, I hope Trump is listening <laughs> to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We are, we are on he, in D.C. <laughs> right, we are in D.C., we all are right, right in his local radio station, so hopefully he's listening. And hopefully he reads the United Nations Climate Report. Uh, you know, we know he definitely doesn't necessarily like to do his homework, um, but hopefully he reads this incredibly important report and takes heed. Um, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. whether he does or not, we're going to be here, we're going to be screaming out loud, and we're going to be doing what we got to do um, to get these changes happen i mean because people's lives depend on it and um no. we have no choice but to win this war well anthony i thank you anthony's focus is actually in la she's gonna sign off because yes. she wants you to know please go she's done some incredible interviews and you can go to think100.info i want to say thank you to you and to mustafa to everybody who's a part in the whole team well, we have some incredible folks. Kaya Chattery, uh, for executive director from U.S. Climate Action Network. Incredible, incredible leader who's definitely making it happen. Uh, next to her today, for those of you who are watching on the podcast and for those of you who are listening, we have Dr. Rachel Licker. Uh, Rachel is a senior climate scientist, senior climate scientist. So that must mean she kind of special, uh, with the Union of Concerned Scientists. Uh, incredible, incredible group of folks around the country who are giving back and, and helping to fill that gap uh, that the government uh, has uh, left when they stop believing in science and stop uh, actually helping communities to better understand the impacts. And then, of course, I have my sister who's in the house, Heather McTeer. Tony. That's right. Uh, Heather is just Everybody. incredible, incredible. Uh, Heather is not only the National field, field Director, Senior Advisor for Moms Clean Air Force, but she also is the former um, regional EPA Administrator there in Atlanta and also a former mayor from Mississippi, uh, so she knows her stuff, and she cares about our community, so welcome all three of you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Definitely. We'll just hop right into it. First of all, thank you, Antonique. I need to sign off. That was the incredible Antonique Smith in L.A., but let's get right to it. Mustafa, let's get into some real talk um, on this on this topic, and let's get into what the magnitude of this, this was. Um, so... I, I just want to hop right into it. I guess, you know, let, let me just actually start. I guess I want to start with, with Rachel sure. on, on this. Um, this is the this is the, the coolest show on climate change, and this report is on climate change. But this report wasn't too cool. That is correct. Unfortunately, um, so just for starters, this report was put out by the U.N. Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. Um, so that's an international body that assesses climate science for policymakers. 
And in a nutshell, what this report was really trying to do was assess the risks and impacts of climate change at the two targets that were specified by the Paris Agreement. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so what it's really doing that's different from what we've seen before is it's showing us what are the risks and impacts of climate change in the near term. So we're not, no longer talking about a long-term issue. We're talking about what the risks and impacts that we're likely to see on the horizon at mid-century in the next few decades. And it's not pretty. I mean, we're looking at making some really difficult decisions about what it's going to take to reduce our emissions. Um, but, you know, we have a positive future ahead of us if we can really uh, ramp up ambitions and take action together as communities and as countries and nations together. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about um, some of the folks who helped to pull this together. Maybe we should unpack this a little bit because yeah. yeah. there were some incredible, incredible scientific minds who yes. were a part of it. Uh, I always like to take a look and see where the gaps are in the process. Mm-hmm. Who else should have been a part of it or maybe who else were a part of it that sometimes we don't highlight uh, besides mm-hmm. the incredible scientists who have been sharing and, and pulling this information together. And Mustafa, uh, Dr. Looker, real quick, and also what is an IPCC? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, is part of the United Nations system. And basically it's this body that um, is comprised of all sorts of different authors from around the world that come together and they assess climate science for policymakers and help them to make their decisions when they get together at these conference of parties, they call them, like the Paris um, COP that we know from a few years ago. And so this is the body that makes sure that those kinds of deliberations, those kinds of negotiations are informed by the science. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, I think you want to chime in. Yeah, I was just going to get back to your question of, yeah. of what were all the voices that were in here. There were mm-hmm. 6,000 scientific mm-hmm. papers that they sat down and reviewed and summarized in mm-hmm. this document. There were 42,000 pieces of public comments mm-hmm. that were put in and that at they, and they integrated into this. So this was really a massive Herculean mm-hmm. effort. They've got three different working groups in mm-hmm. the IPCC. This is the first time ever that they've all worked together. And I think one thing that- What does that mean? when you say that, through pre-working groups? So they just have, I mean, they've, these groups have kind of been siloed in the past, working on their own thing, one one group working on energy, one group working on how do we prepare for impacts and adapt, one group working on what is the real science behind climate change. And this is the first time they've actually had to work together because this report actually is the result of countries saying we need some answers to some questions. And they didn't necessarily want to do this report, but in the Paris Climate Agreement, it actually said we need more information because vulnerable countries came forward and said we want to limit warming more than what the rest of the world is talking about right now. And so the rest of the world was talking about two degrees. People were talking about even maybe that's not possible. And for small island nations that were already experiencing salt water in their agricultural land, Mm. for people who were being displaced, countries that were actually having to face the notion of lowering their flag from in front of the UN, they didn't want to hear that. So they said, no, I'm not going to accept that this two degree number is the best you can do because I can't survive with that. And we want an analysis. And and there are three questions that are answered. What will it take to limit warming to to this extent so we can survive? That's that 1.5 degree number. What are the impacts? At 1.5 versus two, because those were that was kind of the debate at that point. You know, which number are we are we going for? And then, what do we need to do to get there? And can we get there? And we got the answer last week. 
Mm-hmm. We sure did get the answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it blew people away when they actually saw. Yeah, no, no, but but this is the thing. So I actually, so I, I want to, I, I want to stay here with for a second. I think this is very important because I think people are chiming in, and one of the things is that many of us in this movement have been dealing with these numbers, mm-hmm. right? And they're hearing, you know, 1.5 degrees Celsius. They're hearing that we can exceed to 2 degrees Celsius. They're hearing that on the report states that, you know, where where we are currently is between 0.8 to, and where we are, where, where we need to be. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I want to kind of, and I really am harping on this, I want to keep going back to this report. And I think we've somewhat described that, but I want to even go further Mm -hmm. because I want to kind of lay out for all of you who are listening um, throughout the country and throughout the world and, and, and definitely all this, this region we're in right now, different countries came together, Mm -hmm. different scientists, Mm -hmm. different folks from different backgrounds, different cultures, different foods, different languages, different people, folks from the country, folks from different cities, folks from uh, Europe, Africa, North America, from around this planet, all came together and said that we have what is the urgency. Because I, And I want to let you know, if you're listening, they basically said this, if we as humans do not make changes in the next 10 to 12 years, like there will be not only catastrophic results, but there will be disastrous results that will affect humanity ongoing. Like this is not the kind of thing where we're talking about we can fix this. Like I just kind of really want to hold, I don't want to scare you. I know if you're driving, if you're listening, if you, you right now, you're sitting, you're sitting at your computer, if you're in your studies, I know what I'm saying to you right now. But I, that's why we're having this discussion, why we have these experts here. This report laid out because in, in very clear fashion, if we do not make changes, that it could be literally catastrophic results. Now, lay out for the people who are listening, mm-hmm. like how what that means for us as humanity to pull this report together and to submit this report to the world. Doc, Doc Ligger. <laughs> sure, I will, I will try my best. Um, so yeah, I mean, from the sense of what it means to pull this report together, um, you know, as Kayo was saying, it's an effort of from the scientists pulling these thousands of papers together. But then it's also, you know, really answering to that, that other point of what do governments actually need to make these difficult uh, choices, you know, how do we achieve this kind of future to really protect humanity? Because what this report is showing us is that the difference between where we are now, which is about a 1.0 degree Celsius world and another 0.5 degrees Celsius is a big deal. You know, we're talking about sea level rise increasing, putting coastal communities at risk, extreme weather events, heat waves intensifying, which is going to have severe health consequences. You know, we only need to look at this year and last year to understand what these intense extreme events mean for communities Mm. like we talked about at the opening of the show. Then you add another half a degree Celsius of warming on top of it, looking at two degrees C, and we see some irreversible changes. We see things like some of the ice sheets um, in our poles potentially becoming destabilized and causing 
really large levels of sea level rise, which creates massive consequences for our coastal communities. We're talking about the disappearance of warm water coral reefs, which we have a lot of uh, tropical countries that rely on these for, you know, breaking up stormwaters as they come on shore for tourism to support themselves, sustainable fisheries. Um, so we're really looking at a world where, you know, every fraction of a degree matters. Heather, you want to chime in? The implications that we have to understand and really embrace is that this is imminent and this is urgent. Uh, this report was not put together and these scientists did not come together from all over the world to have a very nice bound report that they would just submit in hmm. to sit on someone's desk or shelf. Um, there's an urgency behind this and I think that it was said most eloquently that from around the world, there are communities that are already experiencing what we will experience in the next 10 to 15 years if we don't do something. And so the combined effort, and I think the humanity of those countries even coming forward now to say, don't be like us. We don't, don't be in a situation that we're in now. We can stop this. If we do some action now, if you all listen now and come and give us some more information, then we may be in a position that we can halt from happening or at least slow down from happening what we're seeing happening to islands all over the country, all over the world. Mm. Um, so it's a very urgent call to action that we have. And from moms, moms, clean air force, we, we take that seriously because we're talking about future generations. We're talking about our kids and not if, but when they will have to deal with some very realistic catastrophic events. Yeah. And as a parent, that's concerning. Wow, that's some real talk for you right there. No, it's but Mustafa, I think you know it's 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 just it's just it's just scary. Well, it needs to be scary. I, you know, I've never understood why folks want to water down. They used to water down the impacts that were happening in communities with environmental justice concerns. And Explain, said, when, when, you, when you say that, what, what do you mean when you say well, that? Well, you know, people who follow me, people who have seen me speak, I, I, I don't play. So I tell folks exactly what the numbers are, and then I link them back to where it comes from. So when we talk about 200,000 people dying prematurely from air pollution, and we know that disproportionately those facilities are located in communities of color, and we also know now that there's a link to climate change in the sense that that is what's helping to warm up the planet, along with transportation issues and some of our agricultural issues and other things. But we know that our most vulnerable communities are the ones who are hit first and worst. But now there's this overlay that these brilliant, scientists and policymakers who are in here, uh, along with this report, are showing folks that this is inescapable unless we make real change. We're talking about government changes. We're talking about financial changes. We're talking about a number of different aspects that everyone is going to be impacted by, but our most vulnerable communities are going to be hit. And here's the other thing that if folks are driving or sitting on their couches or thinking and contemplating about what they need to do, the numbers that were shared inside this report, and this is just based upon my conversations with other scientists and some others, are conservative numbers. So, you know, sometimes we have to kind of uh, shrink it down so that folks won't be so frightened and so overwhelmed that they can't get their minds around it. We can make changes and we can actually slow down some of these impacts. But I think we should be very honest with people also about, you know, how serious this moment is, but that we can actually make change. 
what Rachel was just discussing, and if you all just tuning in, this is thing one percent. And Rachel, Dr. Licker, was from the Union of Concerned Scientists. He was just bringing on this report to us, and basically just scaring us all here in the studio to death. <laughs> um, so you know, I'm not sure. If first time I see meeting Rachel, but you know, I'm not sure she got a thing with Halloween. I'm just going to scare folks in that aspect. But then Mustafa then took it to real talk and said, "We are ish, we should be scared," and that's a part of the reality of this conversation and why it is so serious. And then you went to vulnerable communities. Bring that point again, Mustafa, about vulnerable communities and why this and why it's okay to be scared in this process. Well, it's just real, you know. In in the twenty plus years of me doing this work and spending time and hundreds and hundreds of communities with environmental justice concerns, I had to used to look into people's eyes and they would always ask the question, "Why?" So now, you know, and I've also worked the natural disasters, Heather. I know you've been a part of this mm-hmm. as well. You know, folks are asking the question, "Why?" You know, why is this happening and why aren't folks doing more to stop these impacts that have happened from Hurricane Michael and Florence and Maria and so forth and so on, the wildfires. And we know that a lot of this is linked to the fossil fuel industry um, and, and their hold on politicians, their hold on policymakers. Um, and, and we've got to address that because there are these factors that happen not only from the impacts of climate change, but also as we build to these higher and higher numbers in the climate related field, they're happening in vulnerable communities today. When we look at the, you know, all the folks who have asthma and, and so many of these other related diseases, these are all tied. This is all everybody is. Dr. King said we come to these shores in different ships, but we're all in the same boat now. There's nothing could be more apropos than what we are dealing with, with what came out of this report and the impacts that are happening inside of communities. And that's why we're so blessed to have the guests that we have. So, Rev, let's let me ask this question. Heather, you've spent time on the ground as these things play out that folks have been sharing with us. What does that look like in Mississippi? What does that look like in Louisiana? What does that look like in Georgia? You know, it's it's important to, to lay out and just follow up a little bit with what you were saying first, and that's the understanding of the geographic location of some of these um, these of the communities, but also the close proximity that they have to coal-fired power plants, industries, and what frontline community, fence-line community really is. Because when you realize that so many... Um, Just real quick, Heather, what's the front-line and fence-line community? So your front-line communities are the, the communities right there, as it says, right on the front and right next to uh, your your power plants, your industries, literally on the fence-line, where on one side of the fence is the coal-fired power plant, and on the other side of the fence are like um, folks in, in my part of the world say on the, on the other side of the railroad track, right mm. next to the railroad track, is... um the community of color. And you think about it, you know, even with railroad tracks, we talk about and we sort of laugh about uh, quite frequently with their um, close proximity to African-American neighborhoods. Think about what's coming through those coal cars, those rail cars, yeah. all of the toxins and poisons that are going through neighborhoods each and every single day that are impacting children and what they breathe in the communities. So those are the geographic locations that we just see placement Right now, without anything happening. Now, when we talk about the impact of pollution uh, and the relationship to climate change and what this means to children, to children of color, based upon their geographic location and seeing 
um, the increase of extreme weather events. It puts people that are in frontline communities in a more vulnerable position than anybody else. Because when you have those hurricanes that are hitting the coast of Florida and the Carolinas and they're causing all types of destruction to hog farms, to coal power plants, where you have um, an increase in infrastructure failure, mm-hmm. places where the infrastructure wasn't too good to begin with, let's, let's be real about it, um, then you're already putting people at more of a risk than they would be before. So, you know, there's so many levels, I think, that when you talk about what you see on the ground, what you see on the ground is a culmination of years of neglect from uh communities of color but more so i think the the nation's refusal to accept climate as a real issue that is impacting everybody everybody because it doesn't make a difference where you are air flows (laughs) you know we're we're dealing with air pollution Mm. in california that's coming from china um it, it is it is moving and it is moving through all of our areas. So even for those who sometimes say, well, it's not impacting me. It's not going to hurt me. It's not happening in my neighborhood. No, no, no. It is. Mm-hmm. And what's flowing from one goes to the next. And all of us are being hurt and impacted. So I, I listen, I, I got to hop in here and just say this. So Mustafa, Heather, I'm not, and y'all, I thank y'all. I know both of y'all used to work at EPA and, and Heather used to be a mayor. And, and I'm, we're both from down south, so I, so I appreciate that. But I, listen, I, we, we talk about real talk. Yep. So I, I, I need to say this because, you know, Dr. Luger came in here and dropped the bomb. She, I, I read the report last Monday. I was hoping she would have came here with some good news. She said, no, what you read is exactly what you read, okay. that this is how long we have. And these are the parameters to that. So this actually goes to both Kay and Rachel, Dr. Licker, in this process from both, uh, U.S. CAN to both U- Union of Concerned Scientists in this aspect that how did we get here? Because we have all these organizations, all these climate, and, and listen, this is the show that we have this conversation. We can't have it here. We can't have it anywhere. How do we get here? Because it seems like we have, this is the prescription. If I go to my doctor, he gives me a prescription, it would, that, that, piece of paper will find its way to the pharmacy. If it doesn't get there, you need to ask me what happened between the doctor to the pharmacy. What stops you from getting there so you can have the medicine to take care of this? We have a prescription to make things happen. We'll get more into that prescription in a little bit, but I need to hear from both you, Rachel, and Kaya from the standpoint that how did our movement get to this point? And then also, why is our movement, why is it that it seems like for what Mustafa and Heather are saying, that we have this movement that seems to be almost like a, to keep it real, a segregated climate movement that has frontline and first lines, black folk and white folk, brown folk and red folk. When this was about humanity, this report is it was about all of us on this planet. What are the organizations doing to make sure or what have they done to avert this crisis? U.S. Climate Action Network has, uh, I should probably be somewhat embarrassed to say this, but it's just a result of the history has been around now for almost 30 years. Mm-hmm. So it was formed in 1989. It was the year after Dr. Jim Hansen from NASA went up to testify in Congress and he was sweating in 1988 and they formed this report. Even before that, I have in my office hanging on the wall a New York Times 
editorial from 1977, that's the year I was born, Mm -hmm. saying about climate change and how we needed to act or else we were not going to have a planet. And so we've known for a while, U.S. Climate Action Network was formed for all these groups to come together. Hip Hop Caucus is a member, Union of Concerned Scientists is a member, Moms Clean Air Force is a member, 170 plus other groups was formed in 1989 to say, okay, well, we saw Jim Hansen's testimony. The U.N. is starting to talk about this. We need to come together. And our goal was really to come up with something like the Paris Climate Agreement. Well, we did that agreement, and now you see what's happening. We still have a president who is claiming this is going to fix itself. You know, my mind keeps going back to how Antonique opened this. We've got a fossil fuel industry that has stopped us really from getting the real deep change in every part of our economy and our political system. And so two years ago, we said at U.S. Climate Action Network, this segregated movement is not serving us. We now have this framework of this Paris Climate Agreement. We need to focus on putting the most vulnerable communities in the center of our conversation, taking leadership from the most vulnerable communities within our membership and within our community and moving forward to get deep change really fast that we know that we need right now. We know we need political leadership. We need an activist base and we need what I call a permissive majority, the middle of the country to let this happen. Walk you know, but walk us through that. I, mean, I like it. I mean, you're talking my language now. I'm fine. You're going to be fired up here next to me. So, but walk me because for before you and walk us through that, before you walk us through that, you kind of mentioned what 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 is still limiting us. So are we are we now a movement that is all together? Are there still some barriers? Do are we still not are we still not supporting one another? You mentioned the hundreds are, are the one hundred seventy five organizations plus. Um, are, are they equal? Are they not equal? I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, because this this is this is critical. Dr. Yeah. Luther came in here and laid this yeah. thing out and said, listen, we got 12 years, so let's get serious. Yeah. So our, our mission at U.S. Climate Action Network is to build trust and alignment between our member organizations for equitable and just climate action. I would love to say we have got it now. I, we don't we are not needed anymore. We've got trust and alignments, but we do have some work to do within our community still to get that trust and those alignments. But then in the broader context, we're just missing some stuff. We don't have enough activists and the people we have, even the members of environmental groups are not all voting, much less taking mm. this extra level action, which I do feel like in the last two years, we have, we have done a good job of, of showing that, that we need a little bit more from people even than just voting. We need people to do a little bit more now. And now that we've got just like a decade, basically, to change the enti- the underlying, the basis of our national and global economy and change every system that's related to that. Because this really affects everything. We're talking about changing everything in a short period of time. We know that we need more people. We know that we, ha- we have to get much better at building power, which means... We have to center the people who are most affected and take leadership from mm. that part of our community. And and that's what we're really dedicated to doing right now. We, ha- I mean, for me, yes, the report is scary. Uh, I'm not saying it doesn't stress me out, but it also brings an enormous amount of clarity, enormous amount of clarity that we need every kind of tactic out there that our activists use. We need every kind of role out there, and we have to build power and build it fast. So I think that is the solution you just laid out there, and I think that is what we need to do step by step. And we need to actually get into the report later on some, some solutions as well. 
uh, Dr. Licker, I actually was arrested with uh, Jim Hansen. Actually, Jim Hansen and Julian Bond. We were actually mm-hmm. in the both blessed all together. We were in the paddy wagon mm-hmm. and rest in, in peace. The, in the paddy wagon? That's what, that's what Julian and Dr. Jim Hansen, I call it the police, uh, what they call it, the paddy wagon. That's why I just, okay. And ever since I've been saying paddy wagon too. <laughs> so rest in peace to the amazing Julian Bond who was arrested. It was actually one of his last time being arrested in this movement. I bring that up because scientists are now being arrested. Scientists are now marked. Marching. There's been march for science. Yes. There's been those things, and so is is you just heard Kaya. So is it also do is it when you had this report? Are scientists now so fed up now? And they have been. They should be. But do they only see their only recourses to go in from the labs into the streets, um, which is a part of it? But is that the only recourse we have now? Just to just fight, or are there other things that scientists? besides report are bringing to us? Yeah, so I obviously within the political situation that we are right now, we're seeing decisions being made left and right that sideline science Mm -hmm. that, you know... Explain that for folks listening. Sure. Um, So, you know, we see that... Climate change is the, the kind of the poster child on this topic. We see that pulling out of the Paris Agreement, why? Why are we doing that? If you look at science and these kinds of reports straight in the face, you would be crazy to do that. We see the risks and the vulnerabilities to the American people. Why would, why would we do that? Okay, well then, you know, who has their finger on the scale right now? And right now, unfortunately, this is an administration that is brought to you by the coal sector. Mm-hmm. And that is really putting a disproportionate um, influence of those interests above the well-being and safety of a lot of Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to... Yeah, no, I, I want to mm-hmm. piggyback on what you're saying because I think mm-hmm. that is a critical point. But we also have to realize that we cannot be fooled right. into some of the messaging right. that they're trying to put out here that right. is particularly targeted mm-hmm. to our communities. And mm-hmm. a, a great example is what has just been said by um, Mr. Trump, who is currently occupying the White House, um, that, you know, yes, um, he now believes that climate change is happening, but that it is not um, man-made. It is not mm-hmm. anything that we can do something about or that it's going to reverse itself. I said be very, very cautious about the messaging that's going to come from that because if you look at who's linked to who right. and the coal industry folks who are linked to the um, uh, uh, Coke folks who um, some may not like this but are connected in even some evangelical Networks, because I have heard some messaging already come out to say the Lord is going to make a way and he's going to fix it and it's going to be okay. And I'm saying that we cannot be fooled into some of this messaging that's coming from these these exact folks to fool us into thinking that it's going to be all right. This is what is happening. And but we're going to pray about it and it's going to all go away. Because that is dangerous in and of itself, and it is targeted, and it is made, it's there to make us believe that we don't have any power right. to change this. Right. And we can't, we cannot allow that to happen. Right. Well, we he- simply cannot. Yeah. Well, Heather, you talk about power. Uh, you know, I talk about power all the time. And, and you come, or you at least have been a part of the political process. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how do we begin to reshape? How do we begin to move the political will uh, inside of our country to be able to address these issues? You know, we believe that you, Washington should listen to their mothers. 
Listen to your mama. Do what your mama tells you to do. And right now, mamas are upset. They are concerned because you're talking about um, not acting or acting in a fashion that's messing with our children. And give you a perfect example of what we're fighting right now is the the. Um, weakening of the mercury and air toxic standards Mm -hmm. because EPA, the very agency that is supposed to be here to protect us has already sent over to the white house to Mm -hmm. OMB um, a proposal to weaken the mercury standards, uh, the mercury and air toxic standards, basically saying to power plants that it's okay for you to put mercury back into the air, mercury that harms unborn children and who that also increases air pollution. And when you combine that and the fact that we have a, a administration that while we are in the midst of receiving a report that has told us if we don't toughen our standards, we're going to be in an irreversible position. And then they turn around the next day and send out something that says we're going to weaken the standards. It makes mothers say either you all need to get your stuff together or you need to go home. And our moms are out there and they're activated. They're talking to each other. They're voting and they're sharing this message to say we cannot afford to have people sitting in Washington that are not concerned about the health and welfare of our children and willing to do whatever it takes to protect them. Yeah. So I I have a fault to that, actually. I think it's I think I want to make sure. So for folks who are tuning in. Um, you're tuning into Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, and um, we are discussing um, uh, the UN's uh, IPCC report on, on global warming of not increasing or being the warming of at 1.5 degrees Celsius and what we need to do to not go beyond that into 2 degrees and what the impacts of that, that may seem slight, but what that can mean. And what we've already laid out is that it would be have uh, a catastrophic result on on our on our planet and on on on, on humans who live on this planet, and that this report that was put together, peer review, scientists, uh, different countries coming together, literally in a unified fashion, saying that we only have a short amount of time to do that. And so today, we're with us. We've had those who are from um, who run uh, organizations that have over 175 climate groups. We have the Union of Concerned Scientists, and we have the Moms. Um, who are here, and we've been discussing this report and next steps. But this is something that Heather just mentioned to me is, I think, at the core of this problem. I think that people are feeling frustrated. They are literally seeing the the effects of Hurricane Michael still. They still just got over seeing the effects of Hurricane Florida. They just last year went through Irma and Maria and other things. And then you just kind of said it. You know, Heather, and your, and what you said was that the very next day, this administration literally went and did something that wasn't moving us forward in this. And then by the, by the end of the week, this president was on the news talking about, okay, maybe content is real, but you know, we can't do anything about it. Um, and you know, you're all sitting here. You've all, I have this position and I agree with Mustafa. You are all fantastic. Um, and thank you for what you have done for the movement. But let's just have another one of those real talk conversations based upon this. Then if we have a government that does not make the changes and we do not make the changes in far as policy and democracy by having new people come in who believe this. And I'll start actually with Rachel. This report is telling all of us that how humanity is right now, it will be drastically changed. Is that correct? 
That's correct. If we don't take action in the near future, um, we have a very different um, lifestyle ahead of us. And the good news is, oh, there is a lot that we can do right now. Let's get to that. Tell us, tell us, tell us some things. I want all three of you give us, we need some good news to end, end, (laughs) end on. And I think that one thing I still believe is that organized people beats organized money every single time. I believe in the power of people. So Rachel, give us some of the good news from this process. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, so, you know, when we look at this report, what it makes clear is that a lot of the solutions we have in hand already you know, it's a matter of ramping up renewable energy um, portfolios. And we see, as well as many other measures, but what I just want to come to, back to that point is that we see a lot of states, we see a lot of communities, we see the private sector stepping in to fill the gap that's been left by the federal, lack of federal leadership on this issue. Um, and so there are a lot of things happening, and that's because of the actions of, you know, what... Uh, we all are doing within the environmental community what, you know, communities are looking and seeing their lives um, at risk and they're not willing to sit back. Um, and, you know, we also see that this issue, unfortunately, this political administration is deriving power by dividing people, whereas that it doesn't need to be that way. We can have solutions that work for Americans from every walk of life. Um, you know, renewable energy being one example where that can help to improve the air quality, the lifestyles, the standard of living, the job prospects for communities that are working in sectors that are, you know, going down because of market factors. Um, and we see that, you know, that a better way is possible and we have the solutions mm. available in hand. And we need to put the onus, I think, in large part on our political leaders to really get us there. Mm, thank you. Okay, good news. We need some good news. Well, I, you know, I used to work at NASA, so I, we, I, I'm familiar that oh, we have. You, you put, said we all just going to fly to Mars then? No, I'm saying well, we, we have put people on the moon, so I'm pretty sure we can slap some solar panels on Come the moon. Come on now, I'm with that. Yeah, for solar panels. I mean, I want to go back to what you were saying, though. At the end of the day, we are the people. We in right. this room, everyone listening to this right now, we are the people, and we are the people, and we. There are way more of us who want justice. There are way more of us who want to do no, right. what is said in. In this report, this report used some strong language. It says this is unprecedented in human history to have this scale of response, but that humanity is capable of it, that That's we right. have everything we need to do it. And so if we, the people, want to do it, we're the ones paying taxes. We are the ones consuming and propping forward this economy. We are the ones who go to work every day and make this economy work. If at any moment we decide that they're not doing their jobs, we can we can vote them out and we can also take away those things they need for us to keep doing if they continue on this path and we will do that and so i mean for me the hope is that we are the people and we got the power i know that's right that, 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 that both uh, Ray, no. Ray, I, listen i was <laughs> rachel and Kay, i was i was a little upset at first y'all was y'all had me down but y'all got me i'm fired up that's some good news heather and mustafa heather first you know mustafa give me some good news we're doing exactly what was just said um mm. uh, we have a mom i'm so proud of her melissa in montana who was appointed to her city commission and she was sworn in tonight. We've had three other mothers that have been appointed to sustainability councils. They're getting 
on environmental boards. They are not just talking about this, but they are going and getting engaged in their local government to bring their voice to the table. So we're doing it. And we believe that we're going to continue to encourage other mothers to get involved. We're asking our moms to go to your local government, ask them about their sustainability plans, ask them about their extreme weather plans, um, find out what's happening and be involved in it and encourage your local officials to do it because we do think that mayors and local officials are on top of this. They recognize that the federal government's not doing anything right now and they need to protect their homes and their neighbors um, before any, they can't trust anybody else to do it, so they're going to take care of themselves, and we are supportive of that. And then we also are making sure that our members are contacting their congressmen, they're contacting their senators, and they're asking them, are you going to let EPA get away with rolling back standards that are harming our children? And if if, if they are or are not, we're going to vote accordingly because we are going to take this very seriously to make sure that uh, people are um, respecting the fact that we have the power to decide who's going to be in office, and we're only going to make sure that people are in office that are protecting our children. I know, Mustafa, we got like one minute left. Mustafa, good news. It's real simple. We have the Respect My Vote campaign. There are millions and millions of young people across the country uh, who are getting engaged in the civic process, who are going to vote, and who are going to help to protect their lives and our lives. And then also, if you look at the Divest Invest movement, $6 trillion has been divested. That's how you get people's attention. When you start talking about T's instead of B's, come on now. Trillions come on. gets people's attention. So we need to also be divesting. Those financial institutions need to divest. Our insurance agencies need to divest, along with these pension funds that are now divesting and, and some of our academic institutions. That's how we get people's attention. Those are leverage points that we can use, along with all these other incredible ideas uh, that our guests have been sharing with us today. Man, it's time to go so fast all the time. Think 1%, the coolest show on climate change. Thank you for listening. On that note, we are out. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100, think 100.